Welcome back, everybody, to the Real Weirdos Podcast, where one and a half white men with English degrees talk about movies for way too goddamn long. We hope you're doing okay out there in the nonsense, and today we have a chat cast for you. Alex and I are going to talk about the most rewatchable movies for us. You excited, my friend? You, you I am. getting your jimmies off over there? I am. I think this will be a good topic. There's like a lot to talk about, and uh, I feel like it's a good either metric for good, bad movies, weird movies. I mean, rewatchable is such a nice little category. So for some people, rewatchable means that it's the best movie ever. For some, not so much. So I don't know. I think it'll be an interesting conversation. It's a very open topic, man. Like it can be, it, like you said, it can be pretty much anything. It can just be something that you put on in the background. A lot of these, so I can I came up with a whole list here, and a lot of them are basically movies that I had on DVD, uh, still have on DVD in this bygone age. Um, this is <laughs> going to be strange, possibly incomprehensible to anyone under twenty, but we didn't always have streaming services. <laughs> Uh, when I was a kid, young teenager, um, basically you just had what you rented and what you bought, you know? Yeah. Um, so I had my little DVD collection that I, you know, spent birthday money on or working at round table crap like that. And, uh, these, a lot of these movies are ones that like me and my friend Sean would watch and like over and over again. Cause we had a specific amount of DVDs, you know? <laughs> I feel like. It's funny because even when Netflix started to come out, it wasn't a streaming service, right? You would actually get DVDs sent to your house, and that was actually always really fun. Like yeah, they would come the in different... the mail. It was awesome. Yeah. It was so interesting. I remember the little <laughs> the packages and everything, and like you would get that red envelope and be like, ooh, I was able to get three new movies, send three back, and it was like, I don't know. I remember that even from the shift from Blockbuster and the small smaller video stores like all the way to that so yeah i mean that was always really cool to get like the physical copy but going to rewatchability again i feel like it, it can go in either direction right it can be either a demerit or it can be you can assign it in a way where you're just like i'm probably not going to watch this movie ever again which isn't a good thing at least for us we've talked about that a few times with movies that we've watched and then there are movies where you're like, oh, I need to watch this again. Sometimes right after viewing it the first time. Sometimes you have movies that come alive on the third or the fourth different watch. So, yeah, I don't know. This will be fun. Yeah, it's... um, If I were to compile a list of the greatest films of all time, it would be a very different list. Like, a lot of those aren't necessarily on here because yeah. even though I would, I would think a movie... Like I would say, oh yeah, that's rewatchable. It's not a movie that I have rewatched. Mm -hmm. All the movies on this list, the criteria for me is like I've watched them a bunch of times. Yeah, you know. Um, and at the end, I think we'll get into like maybe some newer movies that we think will end up being rewatchables for us. 
Um, so I have this list, but I want you to feel free to jump in at any time and add one. Like if you seek, if we talk about a movie with Keanu Reeves, add <laughs> in, you know, what's, what's one we just talked about Constantine, it. Constantine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can throw in Constantine. Um, oh yeah, let's get started. I'm strapped in. I started off my list with the heavy hitters cause why not? Okay. Right. Okay. So number one here, the Lord of the Rings. Okay. I mean, of course, right? Obviously. But I'm speaking about the whole trilogy, extended edition. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've spoken on this before, but those movies captured my imagination unlike anything that had ever come out before. And they came out around the time when I was like 15, just like really, really getting into, I don't know, I guess like thinking more critically about cinema. Mm-hmm. And they just have maintained all of their magic and every couple years they'll go and rewatch them like how can i not absolutely i mean i i own those dvds as well those are movies that i that's not even a movie that i would rewatch. that's a movie that i wanted to own i wanted the extended trilogy set in the cool little different colors you know the green the maroon and the the like dark blue and it was like i wanted to be able to pull that movie off the shelf at any time to be able to watch it you know, and it's funny because when that movie came out, movies and literature and the interpretation in between the two had always had this problem where it was like people didn't feel like there was enough included. People didn't feel like they did something correctly. And I remember people just armed to the teeth, ready to go into movie theaters, just like ready to rip apart Peter Jackson. Really? Like hardcore, like Lord really? of the Ring nerds and shit, like book nerds. Oh. And... So the the very first movie, not not the second one or the third one. They oh, went okay. in and they just were like blown away and were like crying and like it was just such a good movie and it was such an epic display of like fantasy and imagination that they couldn't be angry. There was like no room for them to argue even if he did change things because he did do all of them justice. I mean, they're almost 4-hour movies when you take the extended editions into Yeah, account. Return of the King is like almost five hours or something jesus um (laughs) the extended one it's like four and a half i think i I could be wrong maybe it's closer to four but yeah my least favorite uh conversation in all of uh, like that encompasses cinema is people complaining about the lord of the rings movies because they didn't include some specific detail Mm-hmm. I, I hate that conversation. I refuse to have it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, honestly, there are plenty of other examples of where it's been done. Like a fantasy or even just literature interpretations have been much, much worse and skewered. And it's like, go and argue about those ones where they like totally revamped the plot or like added characters and stuff like that. Hobbit. Like the Hobbit. Oh, but people love Lord of the Rings, though. Like, almost no fan base is going to be quite as rabid as a Tolkien fan base. Well, I mean, I have a movie series that I'll just throw in right now that is probably the new one in that sense, is that in that Harry Potter. They're, okay, it's, it's yeah, you're a big Harry the, Potter fan. Yeah, and it's like right when you said Lord of the Rings, I was like, well, there are eight movies of Harry Potter, but they're all absolutely rewatchable like every single time because it's an evolution of a child growing up and the movie styles take like they reflect that and parallel it so it's not like i don't know it never feels old right you like you're growing with the story and everything and you're ready to go back and do it all over again 
Yeah, because we were around that age where you were kind of growing up with Harry, right? Yeah, exactly. And that was a big draw for people. They got darker as life kind of got darker, and you you sort of started to understand more about life and the world. Yeah, and I, I honestly feel that those that and Lord of the Rings will are like, man, those two are just. Thank God that they they had such a good movie interpretation, both of those yeah. stories, like because. They really hit it out of the park with both of those. I mean, it's crazy because Harry Potter was more of like a collaborative, different directors over the course of years, trying to keep the same actors and doing it well. Everyone growing up naturally and progressively and being able to be on schedule. But with The Lord of the Rings, I mean, you really got to hand it to Peter Jackson. <laughs> like, it's like he this spent like two years project. of his life. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah just yeah, all on just one dude. Like, <laughs> all at a time. Right? Like, they shot them, like, all at once, I believe. Um, it's fucking insane. They shot this, the two towers and the other one, I think, at the same time. Yeah. I, I can't remember exactly. But speaking on the, the epically long, the, the extended DVD collections, I got so deep into these movies that I think that, like, these DVDs in large part were what captivated me about filmmaking. Because I watched all the bonus stuff. Mm-hmm. If people aren't aware, this was these were some of the first DVDs to have really extensive making ofs. There's like multiple discs with like 12 hours of content per fucking DVD, per movie. Yeah. That's just the making of in all the facets. And I devoured it. I devoured it. And I was like, wow, making movies is really complicated and really cool. Yep. I mean, yeah. it's... Like all, I loved all of the uh, the behind the scenes with the hobbits, like seeing all the actors become such good friends, like playing video games and shit against each other, and like, <laughs> um, but yeah, all of those extras and everything are amazing. I have a book um, that's like art that was based on Middle Earth, and one of the artists in it, I can't think of his name right now, was like the guy who designed like all the sets and everything for the movies. Oh yeah, they ha- I think they had him do concept drawings. Yeah, I think is what it was for like a lot of the production design. Yeah, and they just drew in all these people. Dude, it's oh man, he is Peter Jackson. Like, take a bow. Fuck you for the Hobbit, though. But also, do you hate those? Do you hate them? Oh, dude, they're so bad, Jesse. Okay, so. <laughs> do we want to get into that because i am actually a defender of the hobbit movies all of them in to an extent so my feeling about them is that they aren't amazing they're definitely no lord of the rings but i have it's a bugbear of mine when people call them terrible films oh they're more like films that have a lot of tonal problems and some storytelling problems but still contain good filmmaking great acting, uh, really good scenes. It's just uh, up and down. Would you liken them to the the prequels to Star no. Wars? No, because Peter Jackson still knows how to make movies. Do you think, though, that like the prequels to Star Wars were just like all like all across the board trash? Because you gave you gave different judgments for the the Hobbit, like where you you gave it some credit for certain things. I was just wondering, like. Were there any action scenes into the prequels of the Star Wars that you liked? Or no, were like- no, because there's no emotional connection. An action to me needs to have an emotional connection. 
the characters are flat. I mean, we don't need to go into why the prequels failed. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a pretty over and I just like nail I like the conversation to, to the Hobbit though. People I, do that, and I disagree. I think the Hobbit movies have some fairly massive problems, but I think that they're overall pretty watchable, and I enjoy them despite the problems. I just think the addition of some of the like the inorganic characters that didn't exist in the story. And then like like this whole thing with Legolas and that other elf that doesn't exist in the Hobbit. Kate is, Kate from Lost. Yeah. <laughs> That's who um, it was. And her her uh her Hobbit crush. Yeah, I mean I don't know. I, I wanted it to just be one movie. You're right about the performances though. I mean fucking um what is that guy's name martin something martin freeman yeah martin yeah, he, freeman as bilbo is wonderful the, all the Gollum stuff is wonderful yeah he's amazing anytime ian mckellen comes in i'm happy i actually like the character of radagast i thought he was fun uh the action scenes are really well done even if they become like ridiculous but that's okay like peter jackson does ridiculous action well all the way back to like bad taste you oh, know man i don't like yeah. radagast well, but I did I'll, like I Benedict say, I will say I have not seen the movies in a very long time now. Um, but I know it's a hot take. I know people like to call them absolute trash, but I think that's an overstatement. I think people were disappointed it wasn't Lord of the Rings and took their criticisms to a height that is unfair to the aspects of the movie that are well done, which I think exist. I think that the animated one is rewatchable. I'll say that. Yeah, well, Lord of the Rings had a lot more source material to work off of. With The Hobbit, you're working off of one book. and So make one movie. Don't try and milk it well, into a fat trilogy. Like, they wanted it to be Lord of the Rings. That's a studio decision. I didn't want that's it to a be studio Lord of the decision. Rings, right? There were fans, though, that you're right, that were just like, like it, it's not going to win fucking 10 Oscars, right? It's not going to be like, I didn't want it to be that. But I was like, you guys are making three of these? I was like, just make one. Yeah, well, Peter Jackson was not attached to direct it at first. It was going to be Guillermo del Toro. That would have been wild. It would have been interesting, for sure. But Guillermo backed out. The studios, like, all this stuff had been set up. And then they decided that it had to be three movies because, hey, why not have three? Another trilogy. Fucking and Peter Jackson was like tearing his hair out, like <laughs> trying to do the best he could. So I, I'd like to, to de-assign some of the blame from Peter Jackson for those films as well. Because okay. I think he did the best he could given the circumstances. But that's a whole other conversation. We're here to talk about the most rewatchable movies, which The Hobbits are not. <laughs> <laughs> what is and what um, ties into this this conversation, though, um, is a series that I used to find rewatchable and now refuse to watch, which is the original Star Wars. Mm, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna ask about that too. So you refuse to watch them? I want to hear uh, this. Sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you explain. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and this, I don't want to linger on this too long because similar to the Lord of the Rings conversation, it's a little over talked, I think in general, but, but just for watchability, not necessarily yeah, goodness. Yeah. So no, they're great. The original series is great. And I don't think anything played as often in my household pre Lord of the Rings as the star Wars movies. Mm -hmm. 
But the reason I refuse to watch them now is for the simple fact that you can't watch the original trilogy without George Lucas's bullshit in it unless yeah. you want to pop in your VHS. Mm-hmm. I think it was literally a stipulation, actually, uh, when Disney acquired Star Wars that they could not re-release the original trilogy. And I would I would love to watch them. I think that they hold up. I think that they're fantastic. You know, Jedi has some problems. But I don't want to watch it with all this extra junk. I don't care about all these like creatures going around. The extra scenes are unnecessary. I don't want to see a cartoony song and dance number in Jabba's disgusting, horrible, depressing palace. It's just nonsense. So, yeah, that's that's my Star Wars spiel. It's probably similar to a lot of other people's Star Wars spiels, but... No, it's super fair. I mean, honestly... I, just, I don't want to watch these these bad versions of great films. Yeah. And it's it's... It's a tragedy that we don't have those restored and on Blu-ray. It's it's nonsense, and fuck George Lucas for doing that. Yeah, it's pretty. That is pretty like destitute and just yeah. Because in this like conversation that we're having about rewatchability, it makes it it makes it like unfair, right? It 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 takes away our ability just to enjoy something as it was. And to go back and to be like, oh, I want to rewatch this, but I can't because it's not what it was. Like, they literally have changed it and made that option very hard for people to do. So, yeah. Yeah, unless you want to pop in a VHS, which who has a fucking VHS player anymore? You know, not me. <laughs> I'll yeah. say that much. That's no, pretty. I don't even have a DVD player. But yeah, I mean, just to, to finish the Star Wars point. It's interesting that something that was the most magical thing as a child is now speaking of everything that came after and especially where it at, where it is now. It's basically the least interesting thing ever. I could not even begin to care about Star Wars at this point. I won't I don't watch them. Mm-hmm. The last one, I mean the first of the new trilogy was all right, but then after that, that's just no. I've only I'm seen done. the first of the new trilogy. I watched the first like 10 minutes of the second one and I couldn't get through it. Yeah, that was one of the worst screenplays I've ever seen. Um, But let's get past this. Uh, Star Wars, blah, blah. We don't need to make this a fucking Star Wars cast. Jesus Christ. I mean, I am stuck (laughs) now in this like George Lucas adventure trilogy type thing and I would have to go with, I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is probably one of my favorite movies of all time and I could rewatch that nonstop. Yeah, but Indiana the second Jones, and the third man. one, it's like a sliding, descending scale of rewatchability as the trilogy goes on. But I'll rewatch all three. If I'm gonna watch Indiana Jones, I'll watch all three. Yeah, I don't fuck you know? with the fourth or the fifth one. I don't know if there are four or five now, or if there's oh, there yeah, out. no, the fourth one is, is, is. I am not a fan of that movie. A lot of people are not a fan of that movie. The fifth one will be coming out at some point here. Uh, okay. I probably yeah. won't be a fan of it, but I'll see it. We'll see it. We'll see how it goes. Um, and moving on. So some of these are going to be, we'll, we'll get past them fairly quickly. Uh, not only because it's a, it's a big list I have here, but because we've already talked about them. And I will allude to it when that happens. Like Got things it. we've done episodes on already. Oh, cool. Because uh, rounding out our list of very obvious heavy hitters is The Matrix. 
The original Matrix. I don't know how many times I've seen it, but I find it eminently rewatchable in in all facets. Yes, definitely. Yeah. The first one is is beautiful. Yeah, the first one and the first one only. <laughs> if I have met someone who hasn't seen the first one, we watch it all the time. Man, when I was at junior college, um, before we went to Berkeley, so this is like, uh, even now, it's probably like six or seven years ago, uh, a teacher, I had an old man moment where a teacher was talking about the Matrix, and then he like sort of thought to himself, and he was like, wait a minute, can I see a show of hands for who has seen the Matrix? And there were like three of us. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, what the hell? How have you not seen The Matrix, you children? (laughs) Oh, man. But yeah, if you want to hear our extended thoughts on The Matrix trilogy and the new one, there are episodes on those. Suffice to say, the original holds up. Yep. Now, Alex, what comes to mind when I say Ridley Scott? What's the first one? What do you think is my apex Ridley Scott film? Aliens. Aliens is a James Cameron film, my friend. Or, uh, Hashtag, me, Alien. get a new host. Alien. <laughs> Alien is not on there. Um, okay. I think it's Alien is Gladiator. Great. I have rewatched Alien a number of times, but it didn't quite make the list. Gladiator's on the list, but it is second to Blade Runner. Oh, wow. Okay. The original Blade Runner. Is that surprising? No, not necessarily. I mean, I rewatched that movie all the all of the time. But some people, like I don't know, fall asleep. Some people, that movie's kind of slow. It gets into the sci-fi thing, but it's not like lasery and enough for them. Like he's not getting into any star battles or anything like that. Like the fact right. that it ends in like a fist fight in the rain at the end is beautiful. I mean, I love that. But for some people, they're just like, "What is this?" And it's true yeah. sci-fi neo noir. But when it's neo-noir, it's like really paying homage to noir. It's not like, oh, this is all dark and seedy city, but I also have this Mega Blaster 3000. It's like, no. It's this full-on detective noir, like 1930s (laughs) sci-fi almost. Yeah, it's very slow, very understated, very cerebral. I think in terms of the the one-two punch of rewatchable Ridley Scott films, um being Gladiator and Blade Runner. Gladiator was one I watched much more when I was younger. That's the one I had on DVD when I was 14. Mm-hmm. Like I said, uh, me and my friend would watch it over and over again. Um, and that's why it makes the list, and it's just a great movie. But as I've grown older and can appreciate slower-paced films, and especially, I don't know, cerebral science fiction type of stuff, uh, Blade Runner is definitely more of an adult rewatch than than Gladiator is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting for me because I think they're both going to be on the same rewatchability for me. However, I think that Blade Runner aligns a little more with like my tastes in film. Um, I think it's a much, not a much tighter film, excuse me, but it's it's like a wholly different project, and I think it's a little more deft on Ridley Sc- Scott's part um, as far as movies go, but. Yeah, I don't know. That one's hard for me. Just because, fuck, just because Gladiator is like, I could watch, every time I start the story, I'm just like, I gotta see all the way through. I gotta see what the Spaniard does. They were both massively, not just successful, but influential. 
Blade Runner, there hadn't really been a movie like that made before. At oh, least no I don't way. think yeah. so. Um, there are probably shadows of it beforehand, but it is pretty revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Same with same with Gladiator in a different sense. It that in in conjunction with Lord of the Rings really got the filmmaking world obsessed with making these like sort of sword epics. Oh, 100%. You know, that were really dude. popular in the early 2000s. You had a lot of other ones. Like, speaking of Ridley Scott, he did, um, what's that one with Orlando Bloom? Kingdom of Heaven. Oh, uh, God, yeah. You had Troy with Brad Pitt and Orlando Bloom. And Orlando Bloom. I think, yeah. <laughs> At first, <laughs> so I thought that's People what were just like, of. let's make more movies with swords and bow and arrows and put Orlando Bloom in them. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. no, like, Gladiator kicked off basically like that early 2000s, like the re- the Ben-Hur Spartacus revamp, you know? Exactly. You go back to like the 50s of like these huge, we were just talking about it in the last episode. Yeah, we were talking about it last week. Of these big production sword epics of periods and times and like epochs in human history. And there we have it again at the turn of the new century. Like just- I miss that age. Can we get back to that? Going back to the early 2000s? <laughs> no, just um, making more historical epics with like badass sword fighting. So I was going to say, there's actually a little, there's that movie coming out called Prey? Or. I don't know anything about that. It's like a, it's like a Neanderthal period piece movie. Almost okay. like early, early human, like hunter gatherer shit. Um, there was a movie called BC that came out. Like ten-ish, maybe fifteen oh, years ago. Oh, that's a Roland Emmerich film, Ten Thousand BC. Something like that. Yeah, and it, yeah, it, it didn't kickstart shit, right? <laughs> no. It didn't do anything. Like, but the um, the only thing Roland Emmerich has ever kickstarted was more terrible when he made Independence Day. That's it. <laughs> people love that movie. That movie might be on my list. It might not oh, be on my I'm list. Oh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> do you want to do that? Should we do Independence Day? Just oh, we'll get talking there. about we'll, it. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. There's like a whole little grouping of movies that I have with Independence Day that you're, you'll love, I'm sure. Yeah, I have a list of, uh, there's a there's a subcategory in my list that's about 12 movies away. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Un- Alex's Unwatchable Movies. <laughs> so we'll try to power through here. Uh, it's going to be a long one, folks. <laughs> um, so the next one is one I haven't watched in a very long time. And I don't know what I would think about it right now today i might find a comical but man oh man have i watched braveheart a lot of times oh damn yeah had it on dvd once again me and my friend sean uh would watch it all the goddamn time you know i like that you're bringing up braveheart because it leads into one of mine but we'll talk about braveheart for a second i never was into re-watching this movie a bunch of times i always thought it was good I didn't think it was like as good as some of the people who are like diehard fans of it are, but I think it's a a great movie. And it it sucks because I don't own it. So anytime I've watched it, I always watch it on TV. And like I'm like, man, I really should just buy this movie and just watch it or just stream it from start to when finish you, or something. When you say on TV, what do you mean exactly? It would be like one of those movies that it would just be on like TNT or VH1 or like cable. Okay, you're talking about back in the day. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Excuse me. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I've just seen this movie a bunch, right? Like, so I didn't rewatch it on my own accord necessarily, but 
it's on, I sit down, I usually finish it. Yeah, I think it's a movie that, I think it's it's a movie movie. Yeah. It's not a serious piece of art, and I think that that's sort of an interesting paradigm where I think it was considered that, and we probably considered that when we watched it at the time. We're like, this is amazing. I think now it probably feels like hokier and cheesier than it did back then, yeah, which is why maybe. I say I don't know how well it holds up. It's probably pretty comical, but I think like even now the 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 pure nostalgia factor would win me over. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I feel like it. It's I feel like it's rewatchable. Honestly, I'll give it the stamp of rewatchability. <laughs> I mean, definitely more than Mel Gibson's other films, especially like the directed ones. Yeah. So, I'm glad you went to Scotland, because <laughs> one okay. of my most rewatchable movies is Trainspotting. Oh, nice. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, it's pretty dark and, like, dour, but there's also, like, it's there's something about, like, personal and individual triumph kind of, like, kicking the habit, or at least not kicking the habit, but, like, just looking around and realizing, like, wow, I hate my friends. I hate where I am. I'm going to leave. And having the ability to do that when you're young is very freeing. So that whole film for me, I just, I love that movie. It makes me feel young every time I watch it. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a very long time. And I haven't seen the second one still. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's a movie that I remember certain scenes very distinctly. Him trying to get a job, I think, yeah. is one of them. Yes. And of course, when the, when the, the couple lose their baby... Yeah, uh, which is horrific because they're just stoned out of their mind on heroin for and forget that their baby exists. I know, it's that's brutal. awful. Yeah, it makes sense though that your list is gonna have some some feel bad movies. Although that one rides the line, right? Yeah, it's it does. A, it also also a dark comedy. I have a I'm maybe in more of a devil's advocate position as well for Train Spotting the second one. I feel like when they're watched together or at least taken in mind together, I think they're beautiful. I think the second one is perfect. People really wanted that heroin chic kind of dark comedy thing for the second one as well. And it was like, no, they're not going to do that. These people are 40 pushing 50 now. Like they're going to show you a story about having heart attacks on treadmills and eating too much like cholesterol and stuff. That's Uh. what their life has (laughs) turned into. But they too are trying to to recapture that mid 90s like essence of youth type thing. So when you put them to, together they're they're beautiful. The second one's less rewatchable than the first one, but I think that I'm on like the side of lesser when it comes to like I feel like there are lesser people, less amount of people who agree with me about the second. Yeah, I don't know. I I know people like it. I've yet to see it, but I'll report back to you. All right, next on the list is a James Cameron film, and it might not be the one you expect. Okay. So I'm curious. What what do you think it is? Well, There's not it, that many. Th- well, one of them for me is for sure Aliens, but the one that you're probably thinking of is Terminator 2? It's not, actually. Okay. I'll give you one more. Let me think. I mean, hmm, I got to really think about this one. I mean, is it Avatar? It is not Avatar. Okay, it is okay. the Abyss. Look, it is the Abyss. Okay, I was going to say, that was going to be like my next one. I was like, is it the one with fucking, uh, what's that guy? Ed Harris. Ed Harris, and he's like in the spacesuit, but he's underwater. <laughs> yeah. You've never given up on anything in your life, damn yeah. it. Now fight. I actually do like that movie a lot. I've only seen that it movie, a few times. That movie, um, it kind of bombed in theaters, 
and then they have an ex- uh, the extended edition uh, is much much better. That's that's the one that came out when it came out on DVD or whatever. I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure, and that's the one to watch. And I don't know why I find that one eminently rewatchable, even more than. I'm not going to say it's a better movie than Aliens or Terminator 2. Those are perfect movies. Yeah. But for some reason, I will watch The Abyss more. I think it's. I think it has to do with the fact that it evolves, right, from this interesting character drama that happens to take place 2,000 Leagues Under the Sea and then yeah. becomes a movie, spoilers, about, like, an alien civilization. And I, I love that shit. I love the evolution of it. I love... Ed Harris in it does those amazing lines that have mm-hmm. been parodied to death by South Park and many other, you know, creative people. It tracks with your water, water movie thing, too. Oh, yeah. And I do love a good water movie. Alex <laughs> knows this, uh, by which I mean movies that use a lot of water, essentially, and that are good because there's something about the filmmaking element of making a water movie where it's so difficult to do. Yeah. That is a draw for me. Um, if you look into the production of The Abyss, it was a hellish experience. It was an absolutely hellish experience. It's to amazing, To the point though. where the actors had a joke, life's abyss and then you die. <laughs> and yeah, I, I can't recommend the movie enough. Make sure you see the expanded slash director's cut. I don't know exactly what it's called. I mean, James Cameron has made a lot of rewatchables. He's good at making some movies. Like Titanic? I mean, pff, that movie, speaking of VHS, I feel like every single woman and female <laughs> in my household growing up, like in my extended family, all had their own copy of that double VHS Titanic. Dude, even we had one. I did. Yeah. I got one for like Christmas. I loved that movie. The first half, of the, the first VHS of that movie is like a beautiful love rom-com, will they, won't they? Will she leave like the rich dude for the young strapping lad? And then you pop in that second VHS and it's like, here comes the fucking iceberg. And it's just a terrible, terrible descent into madness. But I mean, Aliens and Terminator 2, like, those. I mean, <laughs> he's made like the two best sequels of all time, right? And both of them are just so rewatchable for me. So when we talk about rewatchability, for me, James Cameron is like one of the masters of it. He's pretty good at it. Yeah, I'm interested to see these new Avatar movies. Yeah. We'll see We'll see what happens with those. We talked about that on our last chat cast, though, so we won't get into that. Um, moving on, I have a trio here that we have covered on the show, so we'll just mention them very quickly, but they all fall under this complete nostalgia umbrella of movies I rewatched a million times when I was 15. Mm-hmm. So we have The Crow, of course, with okay. Brandon Lee. I loved that whole... I loved the aesthetic of that movie. I thought The Crow was awesome because I was really, you know, attracted to the sort of gothic aesthetic in general as a teenager. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just a really fun movie, fun performance. There is an episode on it. Um, next up is Donnie Darko. Okay. Of course. Um, once again, episode on that as well. Won't go too into it, but it is, especially the, what do they call it? Is it also the director's cut? I think it makes the plot line, which is sort of obtuse in the original, much more watchable. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and simultaneous to being an interesting science fiction storyline, it's also one of the best high school movies ever made. And I love it on that account. Okay. And the third of this little trio that we've done on the show is Snatch. Guy Ritchie's Snatch. Got it. With a little Bradley Pitt as a pikey. A lot of his early movies, I feel like he would he did really well with rewatchability. Not so much towards the end, but we've talked about that as well. Um, no, yeah, pretty much just Snatch and Lockstock. Okay, so it's funny because I thought you were going to say two other movies that I know you didn't maybe enjoy as much, but The Mummy and uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. You or, thought you did not think I was going to say Gone in 60 Seconds. I just thought you meant as far as like maybe not your personal taste, but like it's in that category of Independence Day for me, right? Just like that for Friday you, night yeah. trash. I will never food. watch that movie again. Okay, yeah, you probably won't. But what about The Mummy? The Mummy, so I don't know if you recall, but I'm I'm more critical of that movie than you and Jeff were. You and Jeff love it. Mm-hmm. I do have it on DVD. I know I watched it uh, at least a few times, but it doesn't it doesn't rustle my jimmies quite in the same way as it did for you guys. All right. And uh, it's not like I wouldn't have watched it again except for the show. I think it's fun. I think it's well made. But I'd, if I'm gonna watch something like that, it would be like Pirates of the Caribbean. Got it. Which we'll get to later. So this is this may be a good time to bridge. Like, is Gone in sixty seconds? on there for you and like what are your junk food ones i know it's that one Mm -hmm. i know it's independence day do you want to explore this a little bit yeah i mean probably like independence day is definitely one for me um excuse me i think stand by one is one for me but i don't stand by one stand by me is one stand by me yeah sorry stand by me i have not seen that okay it it i mean it's definitely a rewatchable i wouldn't put it in like it's not as trashy as independence day or gone in 60 seconds is definitely much more elevated i mean it's stephen king right um but that movie is just so tight and so rewatchable like even more than it or any of those other like 80s fun kids like movies um even the more goonies. Than goonies for me yeah um and then i don't know i mean there are a lot of things that fall into that category the rock is one Constantine is one that we've talked about. I mean, these are movies. There's that... a there's a fan theory. Sorry to interrupt you real no, quick good. about The Rock that apparently makes it much more watchable. Is that if you watch it with the lens that Sean Connery is still James Bond in that film, then it makes it much more interesting. Oh, that's so. Beautiful. I kind of want to rewatch it with that in mind. Oh, that's amazing. Quick little anecdote about Sean Connery and James Bond here. Do you know how he got the role? I do not. So they were at like the auditioning offices, right? Like the people who were at the studios or whatever that were like looking for, they were just interviewing all these strapping young men, right? And Sean Connery was a model. He was a male model at the time. He had won like Mr. Universe and whatnot. So he was like going in for the audition. And all of the guy needed to see was Sean Connery getting out of his car, closing the door, and, like, walking into the office. And the guy was like, he's our James Bond immediately. That's it? Yeah. He was just, (laughs) like, the way that he got out of his car, like, in his swagger, and, like, he walked into the office with his eyebrows and everything, just like, he. that's it. (laughs) And I'm like, man, that's so cool. 
That's hilarious. You'd never do that now. I know. But I, know, I guess right? James Bond wasn't James Bond. It wasn't the the cultural icon. You know, yeah. Doctor No is a good movie, but it's, I mean, it's it's the first one. It's pretty under budget. Yeah. It's kind of slow. Uh, it took a while for Bond to sort of become Bond, if you will. They didn't even have that iconic did it, did it, did it, and him shooting the screen. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have that yet. But this this actually links further down the list but I'll just jump down to it pretty much all the James Bond movies for me I I, I, <laughs> I fucking love James Bond I don't know what it is I no actually I mean I, I'd have to agree I mean I grew up with the Pierce Brosnan ones I think I could rewatch all of them um, those are on like a sliding scale of goodness golden eyes good and then they just get worse and worse until the last one I think it's I don't know it's like die another day or something is that the one with it's Halle like, Berry total schlock absolute schlock where he's driving an invisible car through an ice palace to Mm. stop the bad guy from like firing a giant laser at the earth yeah (laughs) it's like such schlock no it is pretty cool though i I like both kind of sides of that i love all the roger moore ones where they got schlocky but i also like the better daniel craig movies like uh casino royale and skyfall mm-hmm. the other ones are kind of middling um where it's it's much more serious sort of jason bourne type but i think i don't know james bond is just so tied into my love of movies and while they are spectacularly dated especially in the portrayal of women a lot mm-hmm. of the time Mm-hmm. Um, there's something just like weirdly comfortable about it. I don't know if that's the grandpa on me just being like, ah, it's fine. It's like, whatever. It's James Bond. It's a fictional super spy that goes on these globe trotting adventures through beautiful locations and is just like banging ladies. Yeah. <laughs> there's something, there's something dated about it for sure, but something eminently rewatchable and it's tied into just like the concept of fun cinema for me. Because yeah. I watched them so much as a kid. I mean, he he's such a, just a great character, right? Like, I don't know. James Bond just had it all. He has it all. He's like the perfect main character. Yeah, I have to say I'm worried about what they'll do next. Eh, I'm not as tied to it as you are as far as, like, the love of it. So as I might be fine with whatever direction they take it in. But I did... I will say I have always loved like I'm an Anglophile right through and through so I love everything British about it I love how like suave he is and how well spoken he is I don't know James Bond has just always been such a cool character and something about the villains gave it they gave us some of the most iconic villains of all time yeah, the the one-liners and the villains—they're yeah. all—they all fold into this interesting category of movies that are just James Bond movies. Yeah, like other movies can do this, but they all owe themselves to James Bond. Austin Powers, baby. Austin Powers, even new stuff like uh, Matthew Vaughn's Kingsman movies. Oh yeah, one hundred percent right. Um, like. Are all coming off of the archetype that is Bond. Yep, and he's been around for you know more than half the time cinema has been around oh yeah it's crazy the longevity of that character oh i know it's it is true i mean yeah the british are good at making those archetypal characters that can survive right like doctor who (laughs) doctor who yeah (laughs) that's not on my list because it's not a movie (sighs) 
But um, moving on from Bond, I have one. This one is still just... I think I watch it every year. Okay. It is True Romance. Ah. With Christian Slater, uh, the beautiful Patricia Arquette, who I had a massive crush on when I was a teenager, <laughs> and uh, Christopher Walken. Um, have you seen this film? I have. Of course. Yes. I, I guarantee you've seen almost all of these. <laughs> oh, man. Great movie. It's so quotable. Um, I always count it as a Tarantino movie, like even though it's not, you know, he didn't direct it, I don't think. He yeah, just, he wrote it. Yeah. Like, um, so he wrote two scripts. One was Reservoir Dogs, and the other was True Romance. And he sold True Romance in order to get uh, Reservoir Dogs made so he could make that himself. That's cool. So he, he sold it off to, I believe it was directed by Tony Scott, Ridley Scott's brother. Okay. Um, and yeah, uh, Gary Oldman, especially in oh, that yeah. movie, is amazing <laughs> as the, the sort of wigger. Yeah. He's the white guy who thinks he's black, this crazy drug dealer, and just goes into the fact that Gary Oldman can do anything. Oh, uh, yes. Um, but I love, I love Christian Slater's character. I love that he loves movies. There's something very precious about the way that he just goes to the movies by himself on his birthday every year <laughs> and like watches kung fu movies and I love I love the romance in it. Tarantino's dialogue is in fine fashion. It's probably not as good of a movie as it would have been if Quentin himself had directed it, but man, I love it. I love it so much. Oh, it's a great movie. That one is a, a good Rewatcher, I would put Heat kind of in that same category. Um, oh, for sure. Some some interesting like high intensity mid nineties action like crime movies. That that one in Heat, I was gonna bring up Heat. So that one and maybe even Tombstone. Uh, that whole like brand of. I of thought films. you did not like Tombstone. Oh, I don't necessarily. I think it's overrated, but I will not argue against its like rewatchability or it's mm. it's enjoy like it's entertainment factor or or value you know i just think i don't know i just i just there's something a little cartoony about it and it might be because like you said i grew up a little with something some westerns that like tried to go back to a little more stripped down thing where it was like less schlocky so mm. i get i get the tombstone thing like everyone's playing cards and everyone's slinging guns and stuff like that but i don't know i just uh, i don't know well the it is the penultimate val kilmer performance as well uh his doc his doc holiday is iconic and i absolutely love that character i'll be a huckleberry yeah and speaking of val kilmer i have the doors the uh, 1991 film where he plays Jim Morrison and probably the best performance in a in a musical biopic I've ever seen. I mean, he is Jim. It's crazy. Yeah, no, it is pretty crazy. Um, I wouldn't put that movie in rewatchable for me just because, like, I've seen it a few times and then I just don't think I can ever go back to rewatch it because I've seen it a lot. But yeah. he did, I mean, Val Kilmer was amazing in it. It is the Val Kilmer movie. Um, as a as a sort of cohesive retrospective on the doors, I think it probably fails. 
It's more about just sort of the psychological state of Jim. And my favorite elements of it are the performances. The performance, I mean, I mean, like when they're playing live as the doors. Yeah. Because they're actually playing those songs and he's singing them. And it's like, I forget that it's not Jim Morrison when I watch it, which is one of the best things an actor can do. Best things a performance can do. And his embodiment of it is just so amazing. And the way that, the way that Oliver Stone captured the, the musical performances and the whole energy of it for a massive Doors fan like myself is just, it's incalculably cool. Yeah. So that's the Doors. If you (laughs) haven't seen it, go see it. Um, jumping back here, we touched on Quentin Tarantino, uh, for a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to, I just picked one, right? Which was difficult because a lot of his movies I could watch endlessly. Um, but what do you think? What do you think is the one? Mm. It'll have to be Kill Bill for me. Ah, it is Pulp Fiction, my friend. Okay. But Kill Bill will be a close second. Once again, movies I have on DVD, you'll be hearing me say that a lot, most <laughs> of these. But Pulp Fiction, I don't know, man. There's something about that movie. And this is something we all, this is a topic we don't need to linger on too much because Pulp Fiction has been talked to absolute death. Huh. But the way that it changed the game in cinema is oh, interesting in a, in a more sort of broad perspective where this, this sort of nonlinear storytelling, the whole aesthetic of these like witty, jokey mob characters sort of played upon the, the basis that like Martin Scorsese had set up in Goodfellas or all the way back to like uh, The Godfather, something like that. Yeah. But... Yeah, I don't know. Something about that movie. I think it has to, it just has to be on there, you know? Yeah, no, Pulp Fiction absolutely is a rewatchable movie. It's one of the best rewatchable movies. Um, I'd put The Big Lebowski in the same category, same area of feeling. Both of them are very L.A. movies. Um, and when I say that, like, we've talked about that before, too. There are other episodes on it. But I mean, like, it's not all about Hollywood and the glitz and glam and showing you the skyline of LA and the beach and shit like that. It's like takes place and like you see shots of neighborhoods and areas and diners where you're like, Hey, I've been there. Like it is 100% an LA movie. And I, I don't know the big Lebowski and Pulp Fiction are both kind of like uh, comedy of error movies with different tones, obviously, but I will watch (laughs) them through the end. All the way, both of them. Every yeah, time they're, they're on, both, <laughs> they're both kind of dark comedies. But the Big Lebowski is much more. It's a it's a movie that abides. It has the <laughs> abiding energy. Tarantino Pulp Fiction is much more. I don't know. It is jokey, but it has a grittiness to it. A oh, lot yeah. more murder. A lot more murder going on. Yeah. But like every scene in that movie is a masterpiece. Every single one of them, whether they're dancing or like. John Travolta getting shot on the toilet or Bruce Willis taking the dive. Like it's all just so good. Do you think, do you think that they'll, that movie will go down as his greatest movie? I think it'll be his most influential because how could it not be? Right. But greatest, I don't know, man, that's a really tough question when you're dealing with, with a director as capable as Tarantino and as careful. You know, even the the later ones, 
I've watched Hateful Eight like three times. Mm-hmm. No, he's really good at making rewatchable movies as well, right? Like you go in with the agreement knowing that they're going to be kind of long, but still, they're they're yeah, but they so don't good. feel long. They're like they're so delicious, they're so delectable that you savor it, and you want them to be longer. With Django Unchained, the movie was like two hours and forty minutes or something, and I was like, I could keep watching this, right? Just keep going, yeah, it's, exactly. It's just like I don't know the the way that he surprises you. He surprises you in the way that very few directors can in the sense that you just you just never know what delectable thing is going to come next it, whether it's a shot or a a musical sting or some bit of dialogue it's all it's just like the best way of making movies yeah he's a fucking master yes and uh, that's that's what i have to say about that <laughs> um on the topic actually little side tangent of Ridley, or sorry, not Ridley Scott, Tony Scott and Tarantino. Um, I was actually listening to Quentin Tarantino on a podcast called The Rewatchables. Mm-hmm. Um, they do good stuff. But they had Tarantino talk about, I think, three movies. He could pick three movies for a rewatchable. Um, and one of them is a movie that I do not like at all called Unstoppable which is a Tony Scott movie from 2010, which is, it's like Denzel Washington and Chris Pine trying to stop a train. Oh, I've seen Tarantino talk about that movie. Yeah, Yeah. I might've sent it to you actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And similar to my critiques of Man on Fire where I, I find the filmmaking just like way too much, way too kind of glitzy and overblown. Um, Unstoppable goes even further than Man on Fire. But listening to Quentin Tarantino discuss it for like a full hour plus. Yeah. And why he enjoys it was super interesting. Yeah. Because when somebody has a really well-constructed thought and argument about something that I dislike, I find it fascinating and it informs and I completely understood his points about it. So, you know... Even if I don't agree with you, I think uh, it it goes into like just having a really well constructed, thought out argument of why something is good, and I'll always listen to that. You know? Yeah, he. I remember him mentioning something about like it. He really liked like it reminded him of like an old disaster movie or something. You know, like the train wreck type movies or something. Um, yeah, I think the argument, like in large part, was about the propulsiveness of the filmmaking where one of my problems with it is that Tony Scott never locks the camera down. It's like, no matter if it's someone sitting in a room on a radio, the camera is always like swirling around (laughs) and that really bothers me when I watch it. Um, along with many other things to be sure. But Quentin Tarantino was talking about how that ties into the film itself being unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the perpetual motion is not just relegated simply to the train, it's to the filmmaking itself. And uh, I don't know, a, a lot of different tangents on that subject, but sort of getting into the meta aspect of the film and the filmmaking. And I thought that was really interesting, even if I fucking hate the movie. <laughs> All right. You want to yeah. move on? Let's do it. All right, this one might be contentious. I don't know what people feel about this movie, but I love Face Off. Oh, the Nicolas Cage one? 
the movie where Nicolas Cage and John Travolta play each other. Got it. Have you seen this? I have not seen it in a very long time. You've not seen it? Oh, wow. In a very long time. In a very long time. Got it. So I think it's a tremendous action movie. It's directed by John Woo at the height of his powers. So the action is fantastic, very fluid, well shot, fun. And there's something about two of the weirdest actors playing each other, right? Like both Travolta and Cage have an energy to their performances that is specifically them. Like Travolta is just so Travolta and Cage is just so Cage (laughs) that not only putting them together, but having them try to perform as each other is weird and wacky and wonderful. <laughs> it's so strange. So why is it rewatchable? Um, for the elements that I've just said, and because it's just a goddamn good movie. Like, is it? Do you think it's? You know, when sometimes movies have like twists or things like that, and like you just don't care, you you just rewatch it again. Is there any? Is like? Is it just John Travolta and Nicolas Cage just like playing off each other that makes it so? stick so hard in your mind or is it like <laughs> is it just a good action movie as well or is it it's both? all these things it's, it's all a great action movie it's a good character movie okay um it has some amazing scenes like when uh nicholas cage is in his priest robes with the guns and they have the action shootout in the, in the and they have the action shootout in the church mm-hmm. there's the whole sequence where uh, John Travolta, or sorry, Nick. Oh my God, I'm getting them confused in my mind. <laughs> One of them is playing the other, uh, and he goes back to the the his family, and he, but he's the other guy. I, I don't know. It's convoluted. Does Fucking, it, it's just good. Watch it. It's a great it, action movie. <laughs> is it? And any time is it like disconcerting when they're wearing each other's faces, or is it like do the? Is it pretty good? What do you mean? Like, there's like a surgery that occurs, right? And they like yeah. switch faces. So like, yeah. they just play each other though. They don't even try. Do they give each other? Do they put like a little prosthetic like flare? No, the there's no prosthetic. So Holy it's the shit. actor. It's That's the actor awesome. playing the other actor, right? And it's That's like awesome. obviously, obviously they're different builds. Like it doesn't make complete sense, but it doesn't need to. That's cool. It's um, it's just a wild fucking movie, and it it's also like. It falls into that 90s action cinema that mm-hmm. I just adore, even if it's not good. You know, although Face Off is good. Good script. I mean, I like John Woo, so I probably Crazy would. acting. And John Woo. Yeah, yeah John Woo knows how movie. to make an action movie, man. <laughs> For sure. So I think we'll split this into two parts because we're running long here. Uh, we got stuff to do today, and I have many more films. But we will end off this part of the chat cast the most rewatchable movies with a segment called Alex's unwatchable movies. (laughs) What you got for me, baby? So, I mean, I have some big hitters, some classic movies, but movies that I wanted to say, I've taken into account that these are movies that not everyone might want to rewatch. Like they've seen it once. They're like, okay, that was good. I never need to see it again. Or they just might be movies that are like annoyingly hard to rewatch. So, I mean, Obviously, at the top of our list for me is Barry Lyndon, right? I get why people wouldn't want to watch that movie. 
over yeah, and over. Yeah, Barry Lyndon, 1973, I believe. I film think so. From um, Stanley Kubrick. We did an episode on it, um, and you loved it. Yeah, My I God. <laughs> um, Lawrence of Arabia and I think Seven Samurai are two movies that are, I mean, obviously they're in like the great anthology of films, right? But I get why people don't want to watch them or rewatch them. Because they're long and they're slow and they're old. But they're movies that I rewatch on a constant basis. I watch them a few times a year. Um, I just can't ever put them down for some reason. And they're two movies that I do own. Which ones? Uh, I own both Lawrence, Lawrence of, of Arabia, Arabia and Seven Samurai. Gotcha. Um, yeah, Seven Samurai especially is like four hours. Yeah. And it came out in 1950. It's like four by three, black and white. So I get that, right? I get it. But now going into more movies that people might be like, yeah, I probably could never watch Wait, that but, again. So like, what is it about those movies, though, do you think, that captivates you so much to, to where you find them so endlessly rewatchable? So Seven Samurai, it's definitely the story. Um, like, the story of it is, I think, just so beautiful and simple which is a classic Japanese artistic technique, right? They're into minimalism and they're into not doing a lot to tell a lot. And the filmmaking in it is is never dated for me. He does slow motion in it, but it's not in a way that you would think. It's so much better than the way we do conventional slow motion. And it's so beautiful when you see it on that grainy film, right? Um... And the, just the whole scope and of the film being in black and white is just, I think, beautiful. But again, it's really just the story. Bandits are attacking a village. It also created a whole story archetype that oh, is still prevalent today. Like yeah. We had the Magnificent Seven back yeah. in the day, um, the remake, um, a movie you and I both love, Takashi Miike's 13 Assassins. Yep. Which I guess is a remake of a of an older movie. I didn't know that at the time when we recorded that episode, but in any case, owes itself in large part to Kurosawa for sure. It might have been an archetype in Japanese folklore and traditional literature when he made the films, but when Seven Samurai came out, it made it popular in the United States, like and in the West. It was like, oh, wow. Like these ideas of bandits coming into a town and like you needing to raggle up all of the best swordsmen and Americans are like, shit, we have stories like that. Just put John yeah, we'll Wayne do in it, it. We'll do it with cowboys. Exactly. <laughs> like it wasn't John Wayne. It was a uh, Steve McQueen. Yeah. Oh, for the magnificent seven. Yeah. 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 yeah I just yeah. mean that like archetype of like, there's these evil, you know, I hate to say it, but they used Mexican people and they used Native Americans a lot as like the oh yeah marauding bandits, oh, right? Yeah. Like definitely. And, I don't know. Oh, I know this old gunslinger who'd posts up in a saloon, you know, in this town. We gotta go find him. But it's it's one of those movies I get that I, why people don't want to watch. When it comes to Lawrence of Arabia, it's just the sheer space of the filmmaking and the glory of all of it. It's just ugh. Yeah, I think uh, I think something that ties in Barry Lyndon and these other movies together is that they're movies for like cinema nerds. Yeah, where you're just sort of basking in the the ability to make movies and shot composition and performances. It's very slow, and you're just sort of simmering in this world. And it's yeah, I don't know how well 
I don't know how well they would play to like younger people who aren't into cinema, you know, mm-hmm. because a, a big part of the draw is the filmmaking. Like Kurosawa is a master. Every single one of his movies after a certain point is just so tremendous. Like I could almost put his whole catalog on here. Oh, 100%. It's he's it's insane. Um, the Hidden Fortress. Anyway, I have some on here that are run-of-the-mill general audience films. So I'm gonna run them through realm kind of fast, but they're not like okay. they're not like films that are devoid of artistic merit. Some of them are, but at the same time, they they catch on this rewatchability factor that we're talking about. So Back to the Future is a big one. Oh yeah, hell yeah! Right, like comedies i feel like have a good rewatchable value when they're good when they're not too like crazy they fit into this like thing where people like to laugh they like to smile they like their brains to be petted you know it's like just sit yeah. there and laugh and enjoy the film mcfly so it's comfortable yeah um the shawshank is one um, oh yeah of course we get into like the, the, you know, the that, number one audience rated movie of all time that People like Oscar-y, love that movie like the the push for oscar spielberg type early 2000 yes. stuff you know like 94 yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah it was mid 90s actually that i'm talking about yeah frank darabont i think that i would put the godfather and goodfellas as two of the most rewatchable when it comes to like the the gangster um genre especially scorsese's genre that he's carved out i think that goodfellas is probably the tightest of all his films if you wanted to rewatch one um and then the godfather it's a little longer but it's also like probably one of the greatest movies of all time um i mean if you look at what was coming out in 72 that movie was a force right it was a phenomenon I think that Fight Club, which we've talked about a few times on this podcast, is definitely rewatchable. Fight Club is on my list. Oh, yep. That's yeah. actually that was gonna be the next one oh, <laughs> before shit, we decided bad. to split this up. No, it's all good, man. We're on we're, this is Alex time. So Forrest Gump is one. I didn't like it that much, but people they're obsessed with it and they always rewatch it. I think the original Toy Story, some of the Pixar movies, I, I don't know all of them like Shrek maybe even too. Like you get into some of these films that like you just know that everyone has seen and they've seen multiple times and it's not just children. Because, you know, children have the habit of being like, put on Disney, put on Mickey Mouse. I want to watch Mickey Mouse over and over and over and over again. You're like, do you want to watch anything else? But no, they what just What was want. yours? What was your version of that? If you could pick one that you it was just Aladdin. rewatched over and over again when you were eight. It was Aladdin, Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. For yeah. sure. I liked that Belle read a lot of books. That was always really cool to me. Um, I loved Aladdin because at the time, this is gonna get. This isn't like trying to get too woke or anything like that. But it is true that like Aladdin had brown eyes and dark hair, right? So he was like a hero that I was like, cool. And he was poor. I was like, wait, so you don't have to be royalty to be a Disney prince? <laughs> like you can steal bread still and be kind of a street vagrant and like a street urchin and still get the the girl, you know? So yeah, I like that. I, I always like bought into that factor at a very young age. I was always like, Hey, you guys, you just got to be charming. You don't have to be born into it. You just got to make it. I like that. I like that reading. It's very wholesome. <laughs> very wholesome young man, Alex, <laughs> finding a little cinematic hero. Even if you 
you can look back on that movie and it is hysterically racist oh it's so Um, bad dude (laughs) when you look at it as an adult i had a whole class about aladdin yeah how it was just it's about his racism (laughs) that's awesome um (laughs) i was gonna give the cornetto trilogy the rewatchable stamp of approval for sure Oh my God, Shaun of the Dead! I forgot about that. That's got to be on my list too, man. Right? Yeah, all three of those. Like Shaun of the Dead, me and my friend Sean watched an endless amount of times. Oh, that's amazing, for sure. <laughs> and that's you know that that about rounds it out for now. There are a few other things that I'll bring up in the the second episode of this rewatchable yeah. chat cast, but yeah. Well, I'm going to round us out with one that I think is, because it's much different than the rest and is an interesting little topic of what makes a movie rewatchable. Because a lot of these that we've done are fun movies to watch. Almost all of them. They like have a magic to them or a nostalgia. But one of the ones that I find eminently rewatchable that we'll end on here is Schindler's List. Which is might sound strange to people, but there are many reasons why a movie can be rewatchable. And I think not only is it the premiere sort of Holocaust movie, um, if we can sort of assign a genre to that. No, no, no. You're, I was going to say the same exact thing. World War II Holocaust era movies. Like, you're d- dead on, yeah. But my point with that is that it's a movie that is really hard for me to watch, but it's a movie that elicits a raw human empathy on a level that almost no other movie does. Like, I can't think of another movie that makes me feel as deeply as watching Schindler's List. So it's not necessarily like a fun viewing, although the filmmaking is spectacular. It's just a movie that hits a nerve. Like, sometimes... I need to be reminded of the wells of empathy within me and also to just sort of put in perspective the different paths that life can take you on or like the things that can happen to you. Mm-hmm. And so it makes me feel empathy towards my fellow man and also makes me feel very lucky to have the life that I do. So it's a tremendous piece of art and oh. every couple of years I'll feel the need to go and revisit it. You know, I love that you said all that because when you brought that movie up, I thought out of all of the World War II movies and all of the Holocaust movies that we have, Schindler's List is probably the most rewatchable, not only not just because it's a great film, but because of how important its message is like Saving Private Ryan. I get it. But you know what? My goal in remembering World War II is not to necessarily remember all of the bullets that were fired. Yes, there were young men that lost their lives, generations of people that died, but we have to remember why they were there, right? There are movies like The Thin Red Line, which show us the Pacific theater of World War II, which get into a much more human element than just the fighting and, you know, kill the Japs and kill the bad guys type thing. So when we talk about Schindler's List, that movie takes away, like, you're not going to the movies to see the American hero of democracy just blast through the world, right? That's not what you're watching. You're watching, like, the struggle and the story of people who were very closely involved 
who didn't have a chance to fight back. There was no like declaration of war against the Jewish people of Europe, right? Where it was like, okay, you can go line up with your military and your weapons over there and then we're going to fight. It was just wholesale like slaughter. Just we're going to take you like so Schindler's List hits that nerve and I think you're right. Like it's it's not only a movie that is rewatchable, it's a movie that must be rewatched every few years. Um, yeah. And it is so I don't know. The way that they play that movie, it's like not like, oh, I'm the hero, right? Like, that's not his character. No, Oscar he's Schindler. a very humble man who, I mean, I don't know exactly what the real story is. I'm sure it's been Hollywoodized to some degree, but that's inconsequential. It's inconsequential in terms of this film because it's a it's a testament to doing what you can to help other people in really bad circumstances to the best of your humble abilities. Yeah. And you know, I th- it's like a lesson we could all take something from. And even then, like, even if you aren't a person of humble abilities, like Oscar Schindler, he was very rich. He was a good businessman. He That's was very true, actually. Buddy, he had buddy some abilities, like, but man, he put his party. ass on the line. That's what I mean, right? He he was like, you know what? I ha- I have all of these wonderful things that life has given me, and I'm in a spot of privilege. Like, he could have probably coasted through the Holocaust and even World War II coming out relatively unscathed. And he could explain to maybe even The Hague later, just like, I was just a fucking businessman. I made, like, vehicles, right? But he used all of that privilege to fucking put himself, like, in a very dangerous situation to help people who were already in a very dangerous situation get out of it, you know? So, no, definitely. It's definitely one of those movies that is, like, I think it's necessary watching for for anyone in the Western world. absolutely necessary. Yeah. That scene where I don't remember what he has in his hand. It's like a ring or something, some piece of jewelry. And he says, yeah, watch, whatever it was. And he says, this, this is worth two human lives. That moment is just so heartbreaking. Yeah. When he realizes that he didn't do enough or that he, he feels like he didn't do enough, right? And he's like, I should have sold this car. I should have sold this suit. I should have sold this watch. We would have had like yeah. 25 more of your comrades here, you know? The the commodification of, of humans. Yeah. And the most powerful final scene in maybe all of cinema. when You mean when they're like putting the flowers on his grave? They're rocks. I the think rocks. That's, that, that that's is, like a yeah. Jewish tradition where they have his grave in... Like this man was a straight up Nazi. He wore a Nazi pin on his lapel, right? When it comes to the political party. And he's buried in Israel. And there's like a pilgrimage every year where they go. And the descendants of the people that he saved go. And they place rocks on his grave. And Spielberg was able to, you know, get a shot of that actually occurring. I'm sure he timed it correctly and went out there and set up a camera and whatnot. And man, was it beautiful. So powerful. Man, I'm about to tear up just you describing the scene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, fucking Schindler's List, man. A lot of fun movies and Schindler's List. Yeah. And that rounds out part one of our most rewatchable movies. Thanks for listening. We'll pick up part two at some point, probably after we do one or two other movies, but it will occur. There are many others to talk about, and this is a fun conversation. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all in the next one. Have a good one.